Hey, welcome to First Church. If you're new, my name's Chad. We are so glad that you're worshiping with us, whether you're online or in person. And if you are in person, would you put your hands together and welcome in our online family as they join us right now? So glad to have you guys. And tonight is the biggest football game of the year. We ask you guys to bring in canned food, but we also ask you to sport your favorite team's gear. And so did you guys think I would wear another team besides Kentucky? Of course not. I'm wearing Kentucky, even if I'm the only one. Well, my family is. But still, I'm going to support the Cats no matter what. But I want to see who you guys are cheering for in tonight's game. So as you probably know, it's between... Tampa Bay and Kansas City, and I'm pretty sure I know who the majority of our church is going to be rooting for, but let's take a poll. If you're online right now, go ahead and put in who you're going to be cheering for, but here in person, let me hear you hoop, holler, clap, cheer, whatever you want to do. If you're going to be cheering for, well, let's start with Tampa Bay. If you're going to be cheering for Tampa Bay tonight, let me hear you. Okay, we do have some Tampa Bay fans. All right. If you're going to be cheering for Kansas City tonight, let me hear you. Okay, and how many of you guys just don't care at all? Well, more than what I thought, all right. Yeah, I asked my son Alex, he and I both love sports, and I asked him, I was like, who are we going to be cheering for because our team isn't in the Super Bowl? And he immediately said Kansas City because he's got friends that are Kansas City fans. And I was just like, well, you know that Mike Edwards, who played for Kentucky, is on Tampa Bay's team. And he immediately changed his mind. He's like, I'm for Tampa Bay. I'm for Tampa Bay. I mean, his loyalty wasn't real strong. But he still is going to be watching the game tonight, and so am I. Because we love sports. Now, he's never played football. I've never played football. But we have played other sports. Alex plays soccer. He plays basketball. And this past season, I had the privilege of coaching Alex's soccer team. And I had so much fun. I actually didn't plan on doing it, but they didn't have a coach. So at the last minute, I signed up to do it. And here's a picture of us and our team after a tournament that we played in. We just got a trophy and the kids got their medals. And it was a lot of fun. Addie had to sneak in the picture as well, even though she wasn't really part of the team. She was our mascot, you know. Uh, But we had a blast. And it was fun because we won a lot of games, and I got to know the parents, and I got to know the kids. It was great. Uh, But also, we had this one little boy who just kept getting better and better and better every single game. I love seeing him improve. And we were at the end of the season, and he hadn't scored a goal yet. Most of the kids had scored a goal, but he hadn't. And so he was out on the field, and so I wanted for him to score. So we kept trying to set him up so he could score a goal, and it just wasn't happening. But at one point toward the end of the game, he is right in front of the goal, and one of our guys passes him the ball all this guy has to do this player has to do is just tap the ball in the goal and he will have his first goal this season it would have been great and so the ball is right in front of him and he rears back to kick it I mean he's gonna boot it in there as hard as he possibly can and he took so much time to kick the ball that the other team ran up and stole it from him and he didn't get to score and he was so disappointed so sad and he came up to me and he was like coach I was like I know man I'm so sorry you were that close he said no you don't understand every single time I try to score, the other team tries to stop me. And I'm like, yeah, I know, that's the point. You know, that's how the game is played. That's just the way it is. If you're going to play the game, you're going to face opposition. And that's true in life. Life is full of obstacles and opposition, isn't it? And it's also true for our spiritual lives as well. It's especially true for our spiritual lives. What I've discovered is this. The more you live for God, the more opposition you'll face because we live in a world where people don't see things the way God sees things so the more we try to live for God the more they're going to disagree with it and not understand it and not like it they're going to oppose us and the Bible doesn't hide this fact 
In 2 Timothy 3, verse 12, it says this. It says, in fact, everyone who wants to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. It doesn't say that if we want to live a godly life in Christ Jesus, we might be persecuted or could be persecuted. It says everyone who wants to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. The Bible doesn't hide the fact that we're going to face opposition in life. Now, sometimes we think, and some people even teach and preach this in churches, that, you know, if we're doing God's will, then everything will just be smooth and easy. That's not what the Bible says. The Bible says we will face opposition, and there's a reason for that. Because we have a very real enemy who opposes God's plan and who wants to stop us from carrying out God's plan. In fact, in 1 Peter, look at what the Bible says. It says, be self-controlled and alert. Your enemy, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour. It's kind of a scary verse, isn't it? We have an enemy, the devil, Satan, who prowls around like a roaring lion looking for a moment to pounce, looking for a moment to attack us. And so we're in this series right now called Big Dreams, and we're talking about how God has big dreams for our lives, so he wants to take the broken pieces of our lives and put us back together and restore us and heal us and rebuild us. But here's the thing, we have an enemy who wants us to stay broken. We have an enemy who wants to keep our lives in pieces. And so as we talk about these big dreams that God wants us to live out, these big plans that he has for all of us, we also need to keep this in mind. We have an enemy who doesn't want us living out God's dreams for our lives. And the more we try to do what God wants us to do, the more he's going to try to stop us. Now here's the thing. Even though we have an enemy who's powerful and very real, he's not greater than our God. I mean, listen to what Jesus says. Jesus says in John 16, in this world you will have trouble. He doesn't hide the fact we're going to have trouble in this world. But take heart. I have overcome the world. In other words, you're going to face persecution. You're going to face trials. You're going to face opposition in this world. You are going to have trouble. But you get through it. You can overcome it with me because I have overcome the world, Jesus says. So when it comes to facing opposition, we need to be prepared for it. We don't need to be those who are acting like it doesn't exist or acting like it's not there. That's why Peter says in 1 Peter, be self-controlled and alert. It's out there. It's real. And Jesus, he is going to help us, but it doesn't mean that we take our opposition lightly. Let me put it this way. Don't fear the opposition, but also don't overlook it. That's what Jesus is telling us. Don't fear it. I'm greater than it, and I will help you through it, but also don't take it lightly. Don't overlook it, because the opposition is real. Let me illustrate it like this. You guys know I'm a Kentucky football fan, and yes, Kentucky does have a football team. This year, we're a football school because apparently we don't have a basketball team. But anyway, uh, we do have a football team, and I remember it was like the second game of the season, something like that, this past year. And I was watching this game. It was a big game. We were playing Ole Miss, and Ole Miss scored first, and so Kentucky got the ball on offense, and we needed to strike back pretty quickly because I knew it was going to be a tough game. So I'm watching this game play out, and our quarterback, Terry Wilson, he hands the ball off to our running back, A.J. Rowe, and A.J. Rose, he gets loose, he goes to the left side, and I want you to take a look at what happened. 
He goes to the left, gets around, and he misses a few tackles here or tackle attempts. He keeps going, and it looks like that he just has a free path to the end zone. But if you notice, he turns around, and he makes a gesture here. He puts the peace sign up. He is taunting the opposition. And as this play goes on, he points to the end zone. He celebrates, and let me show you what happens. He keeps going, and the opposition gets him Right at the end, they mark him down at the one-yard line, and here's the thing. We end up fumbling the ball on the one-yard line, and we don't score at all. That's how bad that drive ended. And what's sad about it is A.J. Rose is a really good running back. I like him a lot. I have a lot of respect for him. He's a good guy from what I know of him. I mean, great player, but he made one mistake, and he acknowledged that mistake after the game. In fact, in a tweet, look at what he said. He said, good lesson learned today on my end. He admitted that he messed up, and what was the lesson he learned? Don't take the opposition lightly. Don't forget about the opposition. Don't lose sight of it, because it's real, and it's there. And I think that's a lesson that we can learn as well as followers of Jesus. We don't fear the opposition, but we also don't overlook it. We don't take it lightly, because Satan is looking for a moment to pounce. You see, we, the church, We are a force for good on the face of the planet. In fact, God is using us to change this world because God isn't calling us to build a club. God is calling us to build his kingdom on earth to advance his mission. We have the good news of Jesus Christ that can change people's lives, that can make a difference, eternal difference in people's lives. And Satan knows that. And that's why he wants to stop us because our work, the work that the church does, is more important than anything else that happens on the earth. And that's why I said at the very beginning of this message, the more you try to live for God, the more you try to do what God wants you to do, the more opposition you will face. And this is a lesson that some of us had to learn the hard way. It's a lesson that the people of God have had to learn the hard way throughout history. And it's a lesson that the people in Nehemiah's day had to learn the hard way as well. Because even though Nehemiah, who we're studying in this series right now, Big Dreams, even though he was a godly leader, a godly man, he he still had to face opposition. And I think we can learn from his example today about how to deal with the pressure of criticism and opposition when it comes. So if you have your Bibles, go ahead and look with me, Nehemiah chapter 4. That's where we're going to be camped out today. That's what we're going to study today. And if you're new today, let me give you a little bit of background. Nehemiah leads a broken people to rebuild a broken city, the city of Jerusalem, in order to restore their broken culture. See, Nehemiah was a guy who lived in a day and age when the city of God, the city of Jerusalem, was basically in shambles. It had been destroyed 141 years ago. It was nothing but rubble and debris. And Nehemiah knew that God had bigger plans for the city than just rubble and debris. Jerusalem was supposed to be the light of the world. It was supposed to be a witness to the nations of God's presence and his grace and his truth. And so Nehemiah prays for God to give him an opportunity to restore this city. And so he goes to the king of Persia and he gets permission to restore the city of Jerusalem. And he travels 800 plus miles because he didn't live in Jerusalem. He traveled 800 plus miles to go to the city. He rallies the people who live there, the Jews who live there. And together they rebuild 
rebuild the walls of Jerusalem. And the reason why they were able to have such success in rebuilding the walls of Jerusalem, Nehemiah says, because the gracious hand of God was upon them. God's hand was blessing them. And they were able to carry out this work because God was working in and through them. So in Nehemiah chapter 3, which we looked at last week, the people are coming together as one and they're rebuilding this wall. And it would be a great place to end the story. God's hand is upon them. The wall is being rebuilt. The people are unified. Nehemiah had the courage to go before the king and ask permission to rebuild the walls of Jerusalem. This would be a great place to end the story. I mean, the planets are aligning and all the street lights are green. Dogs and cats are living together. It's a wonderful world, right? But that's when opposition comes. That's when Nehemiah faces really his biggest battle, his biggest challenge. Because Nehemiah wasn't just rebuilding a city. He was rebuilding the city of God. And remember what I said, the city of God was supposed to be a light for the entire world. And so Satan didn't want this to happen. And anytime you work for God, there will always be those who don't like it. Two of those guys we meet in the book of Nehemiah. Their names... Sanballat the Horonite, you got to say it like that, like there's something caught in your throat, okay? Sanballat the Horonite and Tobiah the Ammonite. And these two guys, they're kind of, I'm going to call them warlords that live in the area, that have been given some authority, and they don't want Jerusalem rebuilt because... Well, Jerusalem being rebuilt would be a threat to their power. They're controlling the area. They're controlling the commerce, the travel, all that kind of stuff. And they want to keep Jerusalem weak for their own power control. And so when they hear the news that Nehemiah has come to rebuild the walls of Jerusalem, they don't like it. They want to stop it. And so they launch this propaganda campaign against Nehemiah. And listen to what happens. Nehemiah 4 verse 1. When Sanballat heard that we were rebuilding the wall, he became angry and was greatly incensed. He ridiculed the Jews, and in the presence of his associates and the army of Samaria, he said, What are those feeble Jews doing? Will they restore their wall? Will they offer sacrifices? Will they finish in a day? Can they bring the stones back to life from those heaps of rubble burned as they are? This is some biblical trash talk, okay? That's what's going on right here in this moment, okay? Good one, Sanballat, okay. But then Tobiah, his buddy, he continues on. Tobiah, the Ammonite, who was at his side, said, what they are building if even a fox climbed up on it. Ha, ha, ha. He would break down their wall of stones. They sound like a bunch of second graders on the playground, you know, just making fun of the other kids. That's what's going on right here. But, you know, we can joke about it, but you guys know this to be true. Anytime you try to do something good, there's always somebody there ready to criticize you. There's always somebody there ready to ridicule you, to cut you down. And that's what's going on here. You may have experienced that. I've experienced that. And I've experienced that over and over again as I try to do what God wants me to do. We've experienced that even as a church. Now, sometimes I will hear people say things like, well, a church that size, that big, like you guys are, you got to be doing something wrong. Maybe they don't say it directly to me like that, but I hear it through secondhand sources. 
Oh, that church, that first church, they got to be doing something wrong. To be that big and be growing like that, I mean, they must be watering down the gospel or they must be compromising something. They must be doing something wrong for them to be that big and growing like that. And sometimes those words are said by people in other churches, which I think is really sad. I have a buddy who preaches at a church that's much larger than ours, and I remember him saying one time, anybody, anytime somebody ever says that, he's just asked them, what else did you expect? If the gospel really is good news, don't you think people are going to want to hear it? <laughs> I mean, if the gospel really is good news, don't you think people are going to want to hear that their sins can be forgiven? That they can find healing from their past mistakes? That they can be restored to God and live in His grace? That they want to hear that they're loved by God, that God has a plan and a purpose for their lives? Don't you think people want to hear that good news? Well, if they do, don't you expect the church to grow? Now, I know there are some churches that probably do distort the gospel and they do compromise and all that. And I'm not talking about those churches. But I don't know how many times in my life when I've tried to do what I believe God wants me to do, there's always somebody there without justification to criticize it. Because remember what I said, the more you live for God, the more opposition you'll face. And I think I can compare it to carrying a football because here's the thing, in the game of football, if you're going to carry the ball, you're going to get hit. If you're going to carry the ball, you're going to get tackled. It's part of it. But you don't give up the first time you get hit. You don't give up the first time you get tackled. Because the goal is to make it to the end zone. The same is true for the church. Guys, first church is a church that's carrying the ball. We are moving the mission of God forward. And what that means is we're going to take some hits. We're going to get tackled at times. But that's okay because we know where we're headed. We know where God wants to take us. And we know our God, he's going to help us cross the end zone. Into the end zone. Our God is with us. And we're willing to take some hits. Because we know the victory is worth it. If you're going to carry the ball, you're going to take some hits. And Nehemiah, at this point, he's taking some hits. He's discouraged. And so you know what Nehemiah does? He prays. We see Nehemiah doing this over and over again throughout this book that bears his name. But this time when he prays, he doesn't pray exactly what we might expect. Look at what he says. He says, hear us, O our God, for we are despised. Turn their insults back on their own heads. Sounds nice, doesn't it? Give them over as plunder in a land of captivity. Do not cover up their guilt or blot out their sins. Don't forgive them. Do not blot out their sins from your sight, for they have thrown insults in the face of the builders. Nehemiah isn't in a good place right now, okay? Now, Nehemiah is a godly man. He's a godly leader, but he's frustrated. He's a human being. And so he's tired, he's worn out, and he's angry because these guys are opposing him. And so what does he do? I'll tell you what he doesn't do. He doesn't direct his anger at his enemies. Instead, he takes his anger to God. And I think this is something we can learn here. Nehemiah is angry. But Nehemiah doesn't direct his anger at his opposition, but instead he took it to God. 
He goes to God and he says, God, I'm upset and I don't know what to do, but this is how I feel right now. And I love that that prayer is in there. You know, there are some scholars and some commentators who want to like soften Nehemiah's words here as if, oh, he didn't really mean it like that. He wasn't really that angry or that mad. and He didn't really say, don't blot out their sins. No, I think Nehemiah said exactly what he said. He meant exactly what he said there. Nehemiah's upset. He's a human being. But instead of trying to retaliate, or get back at his enemies, he takes his anger to God and says, God, this is how I feel. I want to be open and transparent and honest with you, and I'm just going to let you work with it. See, Nehemiah understood a biblical principle which we see in the book of Romans. In the book of Romans, Paul writes, Do not repay anyone evil for evil. Do not take revenge, my friends, but leave room for God's wrath. For it is written, it is mine to avenge. I will repay, says the Lord. The Bible says that we're not supposed to retaliate. We're not supposed to be a people who try to get even and repay evil for evil. That's not what we do. No, we take it to God and we let God handle the situation. See, retaliation, well, that... That leads to distraction, to where we're distracted to the point we can't carry out God's work and his mission. And distraction leads to defeat. Nehemiah got that. So Nehemiah is angry, but he doesn't direct his anger at his opposition. He takes it to God, and God works within his life. God, I think, transforms his heart. Because you know what happens next? Instead of Nehemiah trying to fight back or trying to go after his enemies or trying to do, handle this situation in his own, by his own strength and his own might, with his own wisdom, you know what he does? Verse 6 tells us he goes back to work. He says, so we rebuilt the wall till all of it reached half its height. For the people worked with all their heart. Instead of trying to get back at his opposition... He just continues to do what God is calling him to do. He gets back to work. He rallies the people, and the people work with all of their heart to the point that the wall is not half its height. The wall is halfway finished now. They're making progress. God is working. They're achieving what God wants them to do. But here's the thing. Success doesn't silence resistance. It only ramps it up. Because when our enemies see us having success, they fight even harder. They want to destroy our work. And that's what happens in Nehemiah's case as well. See, Sanballat and Tobiah, they get even more upset that the wall is still being built, that Nehemiah and the people haven't quit yet. And so they get some of the other surrounding armies together, and they want to fight against Nehemiah and the people together. They surround the city of Jerusalem, and this is what the enemies of God's people are saying, and this gets back to the Jews. The enemies of God's people are saying, before they know it or see us, we will be right there among them, and we will kill them and put an end to their work. In other words, we're going to take them out. We're going to massacre them. We're going to surround them and kill them all. And so the people in Jerusalem, they hear about these threats. They get discouraged. They're down. And they cry out to Nehemiah. And look at what they say. They say the strength of the laborers is giving out. And there is so much trouble that we cannot rebuild the wall. At this point, they're ready to give up. And we can understand why. Again, These are just average people, normal guys like you and me. They're not superheroes. And right now they're surrounded. The opposition continues to press against them. 
And they're down. They're ready to give up. And nothing can zap our enthusiasm quicker than opposition. So let me ask you, what is Satan trying to get you to give up on right now? What is it that God is trying to restore in your life or rebuild in your life? Maybe build for the first time in your life. And Satan is trying everything he possibly can to get you to give up on it. Maybe it's your marriage. Maybe it's a family relationship or a friendship. Maybe it's some calling that God has placed on your life to serve him. Maybe it's some opportunity that he's giving you. Maybe he wants you to use some of the resources that he's blessed you with to advance his kingdom, and you get close to doing it, but then Satan scares you a little bit and you back away from it. Maybe God is trying to help you overcome the guilt that you have from past mistakes. Whether you realize what you were doing in the past or not, you've made some past mistakes, and now you're trying to overcome that guilt, and it's weighing on you. And every time you get close to finding that healing that God wants to provide, Satan whispers in your ear and you believe him, You'll never be able to overcome your past. I don't know what it is for you, but what is it that Satan is trying to get you to give up on? The people of Jerusalem, they're ready to give up. So what does Nehemiah do? Look at what he says. He writes, I stood up and said to the nobles, the officials, and the rest of the people, don't be afraid of them. Remember the Lord who is great and awesome and fight for your brothers, your sons and your daughters, your wives and your homes. Nehemiah tells the people basically two things. One, remember the Lord. Because Nehemiah understood something. He understood this wasn't his wall that they were rebuilding. It wasn't the people's wall that they were rebuilding. This wall was God's wall. And if God wanted it accomplished, it would be accomplished. See, the enemies of God's people, they didn't understand that. Listen to what they say. They say, what are those feeble Jews doing? Will they restore their wall? See, they just thought it was a project that the the people came up with. But Nehemiah knows it's not our wall. It's God's wall. And if God wants it done, it will get done. So what does Nehemiah do? He focuses on the power of his God. He remembers that the God who is with them is the God who has been with his people for generations, who has done miracle after miracle after miracle throughout their history. He knows that same God is with them and on their side. So he tells the people, remember God. See, our lives shouldn't be focused are driven by our critics. They should be focused on God and as followers of Jesus. Our lives should be driven by Christ, not by our critics. And way too often, we spend way too much time thinking about what our critics think of us instead of focusing on God's will for us. But then Nehemiah says something else. Nehemiah says, fight. Fight for what matters. In other words, Don't give up. This project is too important. God's hand is on this. Don't give up. Fight for what matters. And Nehemiah gives them two ways that they can fight. He says, first of all, strengthen the weak areas. Look at what he says in Nehemiah 4, verse 13. He writes these words, Therefore I stationed some of the people behind the lowest points of the wall at the exposed places, the weak areas, posting them by families with their swords, spears, and bows. In other words, Nehemiah finds the more troubled spots in the wall, and he reinforces them. He says, we need to take care of these troubled spots because these are areas where the enemy could attack, the, could attack very easily. And in the same way, when it comes to our lives, what are the troubled spots in your life? 
What are the weak areas that Satan could easily attack if he wanted to? Because the Bible says in Ephesians 4.27, do not give the devil a foothold. And is there some area of your life right now that's weaker than the other areas that you know that if you're not careful, Satan could come in the back door and he could attack you and he could do some great damage? See, that's why last week we talked about our discipleship triangle here at First Church, which we believe this is what it takes to live a content, satisfied life in Christ. This is what it takes to be growing up in Christ. And we said that we want every single member of our church, every single partner of our church, to be pursuing Jesus on a personal level, having an intimate relationship with him, growing together with other followers of Jesus that will support you and encourage you and hold you accountable and strengthen you, all that good stuff. And then also we want everybody unleashing love. In other words, we want everybody serving. We want everybody going out and doing God's kingdom work in some way or another. And let me just ask, when you look at these three things, are you weak in one of these areas? Because if you are, if you're missing one of these three categories or you're weak in one of these three areas, that's where Satan is going to attack. And he can do some great damage if we let him. That's why the Bible says, don't give the devil a foothold. But then Nehemiah also teaches us to do something else. He says that we need to protect what's important. If it's important to God, then it needs to be protected. In Nehemiah 4 verse 18, listen to what he says. Nehemiah writes, those who carried materials did their work with one hand and held a weapon in the other, and each of the builders wore his sword at his side as he worked. In other words, what Nehemiah is saying here is, we don't just need to build up the wall, we also need to protect what God has given us. See, what Nehemiah was telling the people is basically this, and this is what they did, those who are working on the wall. Nehemiah said, you need to continue to work on the wall with a shovel in one hand. That makes sense because in order to build up the wall, get rid of the rubble and debris and all that, they needed a shovel. They needed to keep working. The work still needed to be done. That makes sense with the shovel in one hand. But did you notice what he also said? Rebuild the wall with a shovel in one hand and a sword in the other hand. It's pretty cool, isn't it? I asked our staff this week in our all-staff prayer time, I was like, does anybody have a sword I can borrow in the sermon? And like six hands went up. I was kind of shocked. I was a little surprised that any of our staff members have swords. But I picked this one because it's kind of the same size as this shovel I have with me. God says, if you will keep working with all your heart, if you will continue to be on your guard against Satan's schemes, I'll be with you. My hand will be upon you We'll get the work done together. That's why Nehemiah tells the people, keep a shovel in one hand, sword in the other hand. And what is it right now that you need to protect? Maybe you feel like right now, as we're in this season, the first of the year, that, hey, you need to build up your family. Your family needs to be stronger. Well, keep doing what you need to do to build up your family. Keep following those biblical principles, but at the same time, guard your family. Guard your time with them. Protect them. Don't let Satan come through the back door. Maybe you're trying to overcome some addiction right now. Maybe it's a pornography addiction. Yeah, keep turning to God's word and keep trying to live a pure life as God's word directs. But at the same time, protect yourself. 
put filters on your phone or tablet or computer, have an accountability partner or two, give other people the password to your devices, do whatever you need to do to protect yourself so you don't find yourself in a spot where you're giving Satan a foothold. Maybe you feel some special calling on your life or maybe God is giving you some dream to live out. Hey, keep pursuing that. Work at it. Immerse that in prayer and keep working at it. But at the same time, protect yourself so you don't get distracted from what God wants you to do. We're called to be a people who carry a shovel in one hand and a sword in the other. And when we do, God's gracious hand will be upon us, will be upon our lives. Now, we're in Nehemiah chapter 4 today. But if you jump on over to Nehemiah chapter 6, after the wall's been rebuilt, I want you to notice what the Bible says. It says, when all of our enemies heard about this, that the wall had been rebuilt in only 52 days, a miraculous feat, all the surrounding nations were afraid and lost their self-confidence because they realized that this work had been done with the help of our God. The people kept building what God wanted them to build and they protected what God was building by being on the lookout for the enemy and in so doing God's hand was upon them and the wall was rebuilt in 52 days and not only that those enemies who were threatening them were now scared of them we're going to face opposition we're going to face obstacles in this world but we don't give up we don't retreat. Instead, we focus on our God and we continue to build and we continue to protect what he's given us and he will do extraordinary things in our midst. We've seen this happen firsthand during this pandemic. I mean, when the pandemic stuff first came about, March-ish of last year, we didn't know what to do. And some of us were scratching our heads like, hey, there's no rule book here, you know. There's nobody who's had any experience in this type of situation before. And we were wondering what the church would look like on the other side. But we just continued to build up what God wanted us to build up, to be faithful in Him. We trusted in Him. Even though we were a little bit scared or maybe a little bit uncertain of what the future was going to hold, we continued to be faithful to what God was asking us to build. And we continued to protect ourselves from Satan's attacks. And God not only used our church during the course of the pandemic, and he's still using us today, I think our church is stronger now than what it was before the pandemic. And last week was evidence of that. Last week, there was a baptism that took place after services. And this person that was being baptized, I had never met her before. Her name was Amber. And there's a reason why I never met her before. Because she's been watching us online. And I remember when we first put our services online, we, what's this going to look like? How's God going to use this? How can we still be the church and not meet in person? And last week's baptism after service was special because this was a girl who came to know Jesus because of our online ministry. Her name's Amber, and I got to meet her. And we asked her permission to show her baptism, to share it with you guys, because I believe it was a powerful, powerful moment for our church. Take a look. Amber and she uh, she contacted us a couple weeks ago about about being baptized and uh, so we had a couple phone conversations and and uh, a COVID scare or two right you know just to make sure we we're good but uh, here we are 
and she wanted to be baptized uh, today. So uh, we talked like just in the back there. Mm-hmm. Uh, I'm going to ask you to repeat after me that good confession. I believe. I believe that Jesus is the Christ. That Jesus is the Christ. The Son of the Living God. The Son of the Living God. And I accept Him today. And I accept Him today as my personal Lord and Savior. As my personal Lord and Savior. Fantastic! Great! Great! Uh, because of your confession of faith, your sister now is going to baptize you in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit for the forgiveness of your sins and the gift of the Holy Spirit. Yeah. We're able to celebrate another new life in Christ because of what God did in the midst of a pandemic. Now, I don't believe that the pandemic is the same as the Horonites or anything like that. Don't misunderstand me. But it was an obstacle and still is. But our God is greater. Jesus says, in this world you will have trouble, but take heart. I have overcome the world. I've used this illustration before, but I think it's appropriate for Super Bowl Sunday. In my hands, this football, it's not worth very much maybe $25 or $30, depending on how much I paid for it. But that's about it. But this football in the hands of Tom Brady, it's worth about $25 million a year. This football in my hands, not worth a whole lot. But you put this football in the hands of Patrick Mahomes, it's worth about $45 million a year. It all depends on whose hands it's in. You know, a shepherd's staff in the hands of Moses, not worth a whole lot, but in the hands of God, it parts the Red Sea. Some stones and a slingshot in the hands of David, just a child's toy, but in the hands of God, it defeats the giant. A shovel? In the hands of Nehemiah and the people of his day, well, you might dig a few holes, but in the hands of God, he builds the walls of a city in only 52 days. You know, some nails in my hands, your hands, could probably hang a picture or two. The nails in the hands of Jesus saves the world. It all depends on whose hands it's in. In this world, we will face trouble. But we put our lives in God's hands. Not only will he take care of us, but he will use us to change the world. Is your life today in God's gracious hands. Would you pray with me? Father, I thank you so much for today and this opportunity we had to open up your word and study Nehemiah chapter 4. And I just pray that we can learn from it that even though opposition is real and we shouldn't take it lightly, we also shouldn't fear it because you are greater than any foe we may face. So Father, I pray for this church. I pray for each person who's listening to this message, whether they're online or in person right now. And I just pray that together we can continue to build up your kingdom because we're not building a club. We are building up your kingdom on earth to change the world. In the name of Jesus, I pray.
Amen.